Oftentimes in life, all we have to go on is the promise of God. It's what guides us, especially in the hard times. Hi, I'm Fanny Osabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. In today's sermon, God's Promises, we will look at God and his promises to David. In seeing how God's faithfulness in his promises to David were fulfilled, it gives us insight into how we can be assured of God's promises to us through his son, Jesus Christ. We serve a faithful God. Sometimes it's hard to see that because of the things that life puts us through or the things that we put ourselves through in this life. But God is faithful to his people and that faith is rooted in the promise that he gives us. So God tells us something and we have to live with what we're told. And eventually what God says comes to pass. We've been looking at the life of David. And one thing that is evident as you look at David's life is that David is living his life by two promises. The first one he received as a boy, and that promise is that one day you'll be king. We've read stories that showed all of the struggles that he went through and encountered to become that king. But what did we see? God was faithful. God made him king. Even the situations to where it looked like that David wouldn't become king. The king pursuing his life. David fleeing and living in another country away from God's people. And it would seem like those situations, God's promise would become void. But it doesn't. And then there's another promise that God gives David. And that promise is that he would forever have a son to reign over his people Israel. And we're going to read these two promises and we're going to read these two promises fulfilled. But it would seem that through some of the things, the deeds that David did, that those promises would be voided. David goes out and he kills another man because he wants his wife. And that doesn't cause God to null and void his promise. David goes out and he puts more trust in the man that God provides for him than the God who's providing these men and that doesn't null and void God's promise David dies and that promise is still valid and the promise is something that we can't wrap our mind around without a scriptural understanding or understanding of what God's doing you will have a king to reign over your people eternally when we know that everybody dies But God's word, God's promises are not empty. So what actually happens is that God fulfills that promise by putting a son of David to reign over God's people forever. Let's look at this first promise. This promise we see in 1 Samuel 16. And this promise is given because we recognize the first king that God appointed was not living up to the standard that God had given him. He was not 
exemplifying the faith, the trust, the obedience that God wants us all to. So this is what God says. We're just going to read a few verses in this chapter. The first verse, the 12th verse, and the 13th verse. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as a king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. Be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. You see, God selecting somebody to be king. That selection is the divine prerogative, God's choice in who he wants. And it's God who's going to give the promise to David, to Jesse's son, not because anything that David did prior, but because what God chose to do. These promises that God gives originate with him. And they're not a tit for tat, you do this, I'll do that. As a, the phrase today has been made popular, a quid pro quo. No, this is God saying, I'm selecting you. I'm going to promise you something because I want to give it to you. And so here is what is the result of God's selection. Verse 12 and 13. So he sent and had him brought in. This is referring to the youngest son of Jesse, which we find out is David in this passage. After Jesse has had seven of his boys come before Samuel and Samuel has thought that he saw that the king that God was selecting was the first one, Eliab, but we find out that it's not. And so he looks at seven of these boys and then there's one more who's out in the field, the youngest one. And he sends for him. And he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came on David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. We see David is selected by God's selection, by God's choice. David doesn't even know what's about to happen. He's out doing his own business, tending to the sheep, and he gets called in, and he's anointed with oil in front of his brothers. There are some, some people who believe that David is as young as 11 years old when this happens. And so as a young boy, he's selected to be king in the context to where there's already a king, and his family knows this. And David has this promise from God as a young kid. And that's what he has to go on, that God's going to make him king, that God has promised him. And what does we see God does in this process, though? He gives him his spirit. So as he's going about knowing that he has been selected by God and living his life, while he's not the king, he still has some type of seal, some type of sign from God that what he said is going to happen, which is the spirit of God. Now, fast forward many years through many challenges 
many difficulties, ups and downs, and God reassuring David through victorious battles, revealing himself through decisions where God presented to David and God has told him yea or nay, and then God's word has been validated by the result that God told David. And this promise has been with David. And as David has grown and David has lived before people, people have testified to the fact that God is doing something special to him. Evident in Saul's son, Jonathan, saying, we know that you're going to be king one day. Even while his, Jonathan's father Saul is a king. David doesn't go out and take the kingdom for himself. He allowed God to give it to him. And then what we see is after David has been removed from a situation where he has to come out and fight Saul uh, directly, we see that Saul is killed. And what happens? This promise that David has been living with, that God has been guaranteeing by giving him the spirit and blessing him and moving him to, is actually fulfilled. 2 Samuel 5 reads, this is after the death of Saul. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 37 years. So let's just take for granted that David, at 11 years old, gets anointed. He's not made king until he's 30 years old. This is about 20 years living with the promise that's unfulfilled, that he has to struggle through, fight his better judgment, and wait for God to give it to him. Two times the Bible shows to where David had opportunity to kill Saul and he could have easily killed Saul and took that kingdom. What does he do? No, I will not lay my hands on the Lord's anointed. David left out of God's presence and lived in Ziglah under Philistines territory. He could have said, I'm going to reside here And God said, I'll be king. I'm going to start a kingdom here and I'm going to build it here because this seems like the appropriate place for me. No, he doesn't do that. He could have easily said, this is too much for me. So I'm not going to go through whatever I have to go through. And I'm just going to go back to my father's house. I'll shepherd those sheep. And I won't 
even worry about being king because it's too much. No. David trusts God. He trusts God to the point to where he allows passage of time. He allows these difficult situations to transpire and he still goes in that trust and when God is ready for him to be the king he is king he fulfills that role which is an example for us that when God has promised us something life's troubles does not negate that promise that the situations that we encounter that we go through the time that it takes for us to receive what God has told us we're going to receive does not stop God's word from being fulfilled. So we look at our lives. We have people who give us problems because we're trying to do things right. That does not mean that the blessings that God has for us is not going to come through. We look at our lives and we find that at times... We might have to separate ourselves from people whom we hold true and dear and near to us because of some type of conflict, because of some type of disagreement between us. That does not mean that God's not with you. What it means is that you just have to be faithful in those situations. And the fact that we know that God is with us is because we have received a promise. And what's that promise? That promise is, this is what is told to the first people who were added to the church. Acts 2. I'm going to start at the 22nd verse. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, was accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also rests in hope because he will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. And you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers and sisters, know that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne seeing what was to come he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead nor did his body see decay God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact Exalted to the right hand of God, he was received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool 
for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, fulfilling a promise given to David in 2 Samuel 7, that he would forever have a son to reign over God's people. This fulfillment happens in Jesus, and because of this, what is the response of people? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And this is the promise that we have. For you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You see, we have a promise to receive this Holy Spirit that God imparted to Jesus in full measure that he sent after he ascended to heaven so that we can know what it is that we're to do as Christians so that we can be led in the ways of godliness so that we can be assured that when we die we will have the salvation that God is given all people because he has placed a king to reign forever over a people that he's calling to himself and this Holy Spirit is just a sign that we will have an eternal home listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 13 and 14 we heard how we're included in Christ we heard what we receive when we're added to the body, which is the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul writes to those in Ephesus. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It's almost like when David was anointed with the oil as a young child, he was given the sign that one day he would get a full measure of the promise that God had for him. When we were baptized, we were anointed with the Spirit, telling us one day that we will receive entrance into this kingdom forever and that Holy Spirit is a sign that that's going to happen but when we get it we still have to go through life we still have to face the ups and downs we still have to go through the struggles the doubt the troubles the tribulations and sometimes that's brought about by life itself but it doesn't negate the fact that we have God's spirit in us, which is a sign that we are going to be with God eternally. Sometimes those problems are brought on about ourselves. So you think of David and Bathsheba. That didn't null and void God's promise that he would forever have a son over Israel. What it showed was the depth of grace and mercy that God has and the, 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 the 
the depth of forgiveness of sins when we repent that assures us that we are not going to break the promise God has given to us because of our mistakes. We can live with assurance that God is going to give us a heavenly home. So it should embolden us to live as his people, understanding that, yes, we're going to make mistakes because we're still in the flesh. But we have a home in heaven that will not be taken from us, that we do not have to worry about if I'm going to be in heaven tomorrow because of the mistake I made today. Or if I'm good enough to be accepted by God because I'm still a human. No. You're good enough for God because he gave you his spirit when you got baptized. And something that we should keep in the back of our minds is an understanding that Paul wanted those in Rome to have, those, dare I say, that he had never met. And this is, I believe, something that we should take with us. I believe the same understanding that David took with him that afforded him the faith, the assurance that no matter what he was going through in life, that he was going to be a king. That no matter if Saul didn't want it to happen, it was going to happen. No matter if he had to go and live in Philistine territory and fight with the Philistines for a period, that it was going to happen. Why? Because we have a God whose word cannot go out void. And if God's word cannot go out void, that means that there's nothing that can break it. And if nothing can break God's word, then when we understand that we're living in obedience to God, we shouldn't look at what we go through. We should look at where we're going. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 31. And many of us are, 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 are familiar with this context because what Paul is talking about is that we should live in the spirit because we have such a great spiritual blessing through faith in Christ that we have an intercession which is God's spirit in us which prays on our behalf and it groans and moans that are ununderstandable by us for what we truly need to be God's people. And that sin is not going to separate us from being God's people so that we should have confidence because this is what he says. What then shall we say in response to these things? These things being that we are justified by God and that we're glorified by God because of who we are. And because of what he wants to do for us, not because of ourselves, but because of God's divine prerogative in choosing us to give us a promise that he had in mind for us before we even was thinking about him. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also among with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? Who then can condemn? No one. 
Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You hear the depth of what God has done for us in Christ and how close we are to him that nothing we go through can separate us from God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can break this promise that was given to us when we were baptized, when we were anointed with the Holy Spirit and told that you will be with me in heaven. Think of some of the things that he listed. And think of the life of David. When he was anointed to be king, who could separate David from God's promise? Could Saul? No. Could Nabal, who gave a condemnation on him because he ran away from, from Saul and he's not going to help him? No. Can the fact that David sinned and that he, he made a mistake and he killed the man's husband, a man a man for his wife and we'll say that that is atrocious and that that's unthinkable would that separate David from the love of God no with the hardships he had to endure no David remained the king even in the midst of what he had to suffer his son comes up and says let me be the king and tries to run him out in Absalom God brings him back Nothing is separating David from the promise that God has given him. And Paul tells us that nothing in this life in creation will separate us from the promise that God has given us in Christ. So I say that, understanding that we're all dealing with something. Whether it's our health, whether it's in our families, whether it's in our own spirits. We're weak. We're people. We struggle. And we at times look at the troubled times in life and we wonder where God is. He's with us still. He's given us his spirit. And that's the sign that he's with us. Not, not how easy, how good it is. Because if that's going to be our measurement for God's presence, then dare I say, if we look at our lives, we could see people who have had an easier lives. Who were born not with silver spoons, but with diamond spoons. Who had no desire for anything. And God was not with them. And while we have had to accept, and as Paul said, be content with whatever situation we find ourselves in, 
because we know that we have a God who's with us. So we don't worry about it. We get sick, yeah. We get weak, yeah. We go without at times, yeah. But we're never without God. And you know what ultimately is going to happen? It's like God gave this promise to David. After you have transitioned out of this life, the things that I have for you, the promise that I have given to you is going to be fulfilled. And that's what we hope for. What God's going to do eternally. And what God told David was, I'm going to put one of your sons to reign over my people eternally. And that was in Christ. And if God has put a Christ to reign eternally, by logical extension, he's going to have a people to be reigned over eternally as well. That's our hope. That we will be in that eternal kingdom. And it's worth whatever we go through. We might even appreciate the hard times because it shows that we have a God who has something greater for us. We appreciate that we are going to leave this world one day because we will be in a place to where there's no sickness, there's no death, there's no pain, there's no hurt, there's no hate. There is a God who is going to have us in his presence forever. And we won't have to go through the stuff that we go through down here. We won't have to worry about paying rent. We won't have to worry about going to the doctor. We won't have to worry about if this person likes me or this person doesn't like me. Why? Because we'll be where God is eternally and he will have gotten rid of all of that stuff. We will be with Jesus and we won't have to hope no more because our hope will be actualized. And all the true blessings that God wants for us will have full access to. We'll see them. And what we went through in this life could appeal in comparison. Just think, David, 20 years or so, on the run, living with the promise, going through hardships, but seeing how God is keeping him through all of those hardships, and then he becomes king. Those problems paled in comparison because he became king. And he got access to experience fully what God gave him. And while he made mistakes still, he remained king. When he got ran out of Israel by his son Absalom, he came back as king. And what happened? He died as king at an old age. And he reigned as king longer receiving the promise than he had hoping to get that promise. That makes sense? 20 years waiting to receive it, 40 years living with it, just like us. We will live longer having obtained the promise than we'll live in anticipation of receiving it. So let's do that. I encourage us all continue to grow in faith.
and look past this life. We studied about how faith produces some type of evidence in our Bible class. Let's produce that evidence of faith that we have in Jesus. Look to examples like David, Rahab, Abraham, so that we can enjoy that promise eternally and recognize this stuff is not it's not enough to cause us not to, to live faithful and that the hardships is not a sign that God's not with us but it's causing us to live closer to him because he's going to be faithful to his word not because of who we are but because of who he is and he told it to us not because he had to but because he wanted to he loves us and he's going to keep us and give us all the things that he says he will. And that's our hope. And that's what we're living faithfully for. I'm not sure where that leaves you guys. All I wanted to do is encourage you to be faithful. To see in scripture that at times promises were given. And that they were not negated by the difficulties that were encountered in life. Even by the challenges that a person had in struggling to be what God called them to be. And that we can be assured of our heavenly home. Even when it doesn't look like it, it doesn't feel like it. Because God said so. Before we even had a heart for him. When we were doing our own thing out in the fields, minding the sheep. God had our sights on us to be with him. And we'll be there if we remain faithful. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.